Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 73. This cast is always is sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., the place to go for all of your Magic the Gathering singles. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buy list bonus, CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. Now I'm joined this week with another store who we've had on the cast before. And I guess you could say that since uh, he last came on, everything's starting to look even better. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Mike, and I'm one of the owners of Lodestone Coffee and Games. And I'm also joined, as usual, with Jim Caselli and Travis Allen. But uh, yeah, Lodestone has cemented its position since we've last had you guys on, I guess you could say, as a mainstay for the Minneapolis gaming scene. I continue to hear good things about you guys. Um, one of your co-owners is running the Star City circuit pretty hard. And uh, yeah, so have there been any like difficulties or new challenges that you've seen over these last six months that you weren't expecting? Basically everything. Uh, owning a shop, like especially a hybrid shop like we are, where we're not just a traditional... Um, Game store. I mean, we open at 7 a.m., uh, so it brings a lot of problems and challenges. Uh, things have been going well, but I mean, every set something else happens. Uh, we're finally at a reasonable allocation for pre-releases, so it's like this was a very smooth pre-release for us. But um, you know, who knows what happens next set or with Iconic Masters or with all these other sets coming up that new problems bring you know come to light every day. Yeah, that's yeah, that definitely something to uh, pay attention to. And there's some other things, of course, that you should uh, be aware of in that Iconic Masters is definitely going to change how LGSs keep their stuff in stock, I would argue. A lot of these cards people didn't see coming. You know, stuff like Horizon Canopy or Grow Over the Burn Walls. Even if you were a shop that knew what you were doing, these might have still sat on your shelf for a long time. And we might start to see a lot more shops switching to the churning method, which I think all good business owners do, which is where you, you get a card in and you try to sell it as fast as possible. And you don't necessarily care about making the biggest profit margin right away. It's more about just churning as many cards as you can, getting people in the store, buying all the packs and sleeves and all that, right? But at the same time, you also talked about how expensive it was to get a coffee machine uh, to to brew for all of your locals. Uh, how's that looking? Uh, Ten thousand dollars and a couple months later, um, coffee grows all the time. It's pumpkin spice season, so uh, that's a good thing, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, we just you just have to keep doing new things. Coffee's a Totally different industry than magic. Um, I mean, you still have regulars, but a coffee drinker is never going to walk in the door and spend five hundred plus dollars on coffee. It just, it literally will never happen. Um, so, it's more about small repeat transactions than it is about large. You know, I guess one time a week. You know, big buyers. It's your average coffee transaction is less than five dollars. So, just about really trying to capitalize on that and have people enjoy the space while they're there. And is this something where you have like a customer uh, loyalty program for your coffee? I don't know how much coffee Jim and Travis drink. Uh, do you guys do you guys have anything like that where you're in uh, Florida or New York, like loyalty rewards programs? Uh, I don't drink any coffee, but my fiance works for Starbucks and they have an app where I think if you buy a certain amount of stuff, they get like a free coffee or something. I don't really know how it works. Um, we don't have any hybrid shops in my neck of the woods that serve anything like that, that I know of. There might be some further towards the city. I think, I don't know if Kirwan's does it, but I think some shops in that Southern part of New York have some of that, but we don't see it up here. And I drink, uh, almost exclusively espresso. This Just explains a lot straight up or Americanos or what? Usually straight up, I'll dash in a little milk if it's the weekend and I want to let loose. Uh, but I found that <laughs> it, it it imparts less um, less total heat 
because the volume is so small. So it doesn't make me as warm during the day. It's easier to drink it and not feel like I'm getting sweaty because there's not as much heat contained in it. Uh, and it's easier to drink a lot of caffeine over the course of a day if you need to. Plus, I find that espresso black is actually a lot easier to drink than black coffee. Uh, black coffee tends to be, yeah, black coffee is way too bitter for me, but uh, espresso is not. It's very different. Um, so if you've always found coffee to be too bitter, and I know there's probably a lot of you out there that feel that way, and I have always felt that way and still do, a good dr- a cup of espresso might change your mind. Like, you can drink espresso, but not black coffee. Wow. We we pitch uh, Americanos to people who don't like the taste of coffee, which is just espresso and hot water. Because um, mm. I'm a coffee nerd for a second, but it uh, it has the body of a light roast, but the taste of a dark roast, which like a lot of people just don't like how thick and that like bitter thickness that a cup of black coffee has. And so Americanos are a good way to kind of like combat that um, and still get the full espresso and that full cup of coffee feeling. Um, but anyways, on the loyalty card issue, uh, we do a loyalty card that's just a punch card, and we're very, you know, extra punches all the time, and we'll buy regulars cups of coffee and stuff like that all the time. It's not, I mean, people you just want people to come back. It doesn't really matter if they come back today or tomorrow or the next day. You just want them to come back eventually. So what are some of the strategies that you guys use? We have a lot of listeners now that are graduating high school or college and they think they can make it in the big card shop world, which as we've discussed, they can't, but like, what are some of the things that you've sort of, uh, man, this is hard to explain. So with one of the shops I work with, we found our niche. It was exclusively casual players and EDH players. And like, that's our biggest draw. So we offer an event to them for free to get them in the shop, to get them to buy a bunch of stuff. What uh, what methods are you guys using to draw customers to the shop? And have you found your niche yet as far as who shows up to play? Uh, we kind of hit all of the bases. So it, it's really nice because we have um, our staff is super different. So, I mean, when we first opened, um, I was really in the community as far as I was buying and selling a lot of cards. Uh, I was, you know, I knew everybody on the competitive scene in our area. Um, Ryan was the same way, um, you know. Obviously, Ryan Overturf has some people that know who he, who he is, and he gets to play Magic occasionally, and he's doing commentary this weekend and all that, which is great. Um, but it was kind of just name recognition for us at first. And then when um, we really started to open and we wanted to push different events, we just have different people working different time slots. Um, we have an uh, employee named Eric uh, Swarty, and he is are basically our EDH rec. He just like, people come in and they're like, I want to build an EDH deck. And he's just like, oh, did you try this? And he's like genuinely excited about it. He loves EDH. So um, it's a good way for them to, you know, have somebody to talk to about it. And he's definitely not a, you know, he's not a spike. He he wants you to play in your budget and he wants you to have fun. And he's like, oh, what about this little combo? Like this card might not be as good as other cards like it, but it's, you know, 50 cents versus $20. So he kind of helps people out in that era area. And and then we have, you know, Eric Hawkins who like plays SCGs all the time and is streaming magic now. And he's the competitive people. People go to talk to him about being competitive. Um, we run judge classes. We have a level two judge on staff who runs judge classes every Sunday. Um, that just, you know, teaches people how to play the game. He teaches all the rules. We've certified, I think five judges since we've been open um, to level one. And we're confident that, they're doing the right thing. We're not just like throwing certifications at them. They have to go through five classes to get their level one and be able to pass a pretest before Brandon will even test them. So uh, it's just about kind of appealing to everybody is kind of what we do. We, we don't, you know, we want everybody to be comfortable all the time. Um, and it's tough because, you know, the casual players don't really get along with competitive players and you just have to make sure you have enough space to accommodate both. So you said that, and for previous people that have listened to this cast, you had a pretty good size magic collection when you guys decided to open and you put a lot of research into it. Unlike a lot of gamers that don't understand how business works. Yeah. What got, what got you into like grinding magic cards and trading and being that guy in your area? Like what, what was the background of that? Was it just that you wanted to make magic cheaper? Was it the recession? What was going on? Um, I wanted to play magic competitively for a long time. And I, I, uh, realized when I was playing magic with some local friends that I still hang out with, um, one of them is one of the owners of the store with me. And we, I realized I'm not nearly as good as they are. And so if I wanted to continue to hang out with them and travel to events with them, uh, I needed to have a reason to go. Like if, you know, I'm not going to travel to GPs if 
I'm not going to win anything. And if I am not, you know, performing well enough. So I started trading a lot and making it my hobby. Uh, and then I lost my job. Uh, I was doing some little design work and working at a, uh, oh God, I was working at a restaurant at the time. I don't remember which restaurant it was, but I lost um, my full-time job and I needed to sell some magic cards. And I realized that I could just keep trading and selling and working a part-time job at the same time and keep myself afloat at the same time as continuing to travel. I mean, I went to two years with the Grand Prix um, without having a full-time job and was perfectly fine financially, um, paid my rent, had no problem there. And then after a while, I got another job and I still was doing it. So it just started to make actual income and I could put money away instead of having to spend it on basic needs. And then over time, that collection grows and gets to a point where, what are we going to do with it? Well, we should think about opening a store. And then a year and a half later, we opened a store. And then I think there's another thing that you can take away from uh, MTG Finance, which is how you handle business. Uh, like, what are some people skills you've essentially learned along the way? You know, because it, it seems like there's a lot of people out there that aren't that charismatic when it comes to this community. And what put you guys above the rest? Uh, we work as a full machine, as a team. We don't, you know, I barely pick bulk anymore. I don't think I've picked bulk since we've been open. Um, one of my business partners, Forrest, is, uh, that's what he does. He, you know, he picks bulk. He doesn't talk to anybody. He, he uh, sorts cards, picks bulk, uh, helps us organize our inventory. He's in charge of all that stuff, but you'll never see him standing at the front counter. I mean, he's not the kind of guy that ever wants to be at the front counter. So, and that's fine. You know, you just have to, if you can't, play every role you need to make sure that you have someone that can fill the gaps for you and that was huge i mean that's why there's you know there's five of us that own lodestone it's a large owner ownership group but we all do something different and allows us to expand much quicker because we have the room to do it i don't none of us get super overwhelmed at any point because we can change things on the fly um, we can talk to each other we bounce a lot of ideas around uh if you sometimes i have a bad idea that we should just stop and uh i don't see it right away and you know if the four other guys come to me and say this is terrible i'm gonna listen uh, which is huge because a lot of store owners get on one plan and it doesn't work and they're just like well we just haven't tried it long enough and that's just switch like you have the ability the advantage you have as a small business is being able to change at a moment's notice and so you have to really take advantage of it anything that you guys want to ask travis or jim uh, I'm not even sure where to start. I mean, we, we've had him on before. I feel like we've chatted quite a bit about it. Okay. Well, do you guys do online sales at all, or are they more in person and brick and mortar only? DCG player, eBay. Uh, we do, we're just starting to do some Amazon stuff. Not really anything, mostly brick and mortar. Um, I mean, we do the same things everybody else does. I put some stuff on Twitter occasionally. I'll put some stuff in local Facebook groups when we're like trying to, we recently cleared out our foil cases because we just had way too much stuff that really was unnecessary. You know, we don't need 15 Expedition Soul Rings or, you know, we had six Bizarre Baghdads that I really didn't want. So I just put some on Twitter and on Facebook and get rid of them, get some more cash, move stuff around, use that money in better places. Yeah, that sounds like a reoccurring theme. Jim, did you finally sell out of your foil burn deck and all the other foils? And is it now just more concentrated in your EDH stuff rather than your competitive decks? Uh, I still have that stuff, mostly because I've been too lazy to like finally get rid of it. Uh, I tried for a while. It, it's like hard to get rid of a lot of it at once. And like theoretically, I still play it, even though I don't know why I would. So I've been kind of stuck in this limbo where I'm like, I know I should get rid of it, but I don't want to buy list it. But I also don't want to go through the effort of like selling all the cards individually. And there's not a lot of people that are just like, yeah, I want to spend all the money to buy a foil burn deck. It's just like not a thing that you can find normally. So I still own those cards, but I don't really want to. But I'm also too lazy to go get rid of them. So maybe I'll do that in the next like month or two. And then the other thing is, for all four of us on this cast who all sell online, do you guys use the direct program TCG offers, or do we all sell individually? I don't sell at enough volume to be qualified for that. Yeah, I also don't do direct. I don't know if it's a volume thing or what, but it's just not really worth it for me. We're the same thing. We don't use it. Uh, we've talked about it. We've looked into it. It just 
we have somebody that can ship stuff, so we might as well just do it ourselves. That's how I feel. I looked into it for like the website and some other things, and the extra fees associated with that made it unprofitable where I am in my current iteration. So it's uh, it's something that a lot of people have been talking about lately because you only have to ship one package to CCG player, but for a small business, especially like a gaming shop, you need every penny that comes in the door. It is, uh, it's not easy. I assume there's definitely some shops that should do it. If you don't have somebody that can ship things and you're, you know, taking in 30 or 40 orders a day and you like don't have the time or have a staff member that has the time to ship things, package and ship things, I could see it being worth it. But I mean, you're basically just paying an employee by paying the fees. That's what it comes down to. And then finally, how do we all feel about Exelon as far as Gideon, Ally of Zendikar is finally gone? You know, we're seeing some of these mythics hit these high price points. Does it feel like it's going to be magic from five years ago now? I think magic's at a point where standard is never going to be what it used to be, uh, mostly because of, like, there isn't really... The PPTQ system doesn't really harbor these, like, competitive standard trends that we used to see where PTQs used to when I was grinding. I mean, you had like extended season, standard season, extended season, standard season. And so you could kind of figure that out. Um, but with the way PPTQs are now, people get kind of all the standard they need every weekend. So on a local shop level, it's just never going to be the size that it used to be unless you have a very active, casual, um, standard community. Jim, I saw you shaking your head. It's really hard for them to get back to that kind of time period because the cards were just so powerful at that time period, and we haven't had enough time to have the pendulum sw swing back towards where spells are good again. Like a lot of the like a lot of people will say the best time for standard most recently was the return to Ravnica Innistrad standard because you had you know so much value from Innistrad, like all the spells are really good, the creatures are pretty reasonable, and then you have the great mana from uh, return around again, you could just play these pretty awesome decks. Um, but we've seen that, like, when it goes too far, then you get the concept arc here, Battle for Zendikar standard, where everyone's playing four colors with fetch lands and battle lands, and it's kind of miserable for some people. Personally, I like that standard, but it's whatever. But it's so it's going to be so hard for us to get back to that because people are also now very much more aware of like how much cards cost and the most popular cards are going to just be more expensive and it's going to feel out of reach for a lot of people. I feel like, um, you know, when there was like the, like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine hundred dollar standard decks because we were playing 12 fetch lands in your deck. Um, we could get be, we could be moving back towards that kind of a standard again, where cards are worth money and it's exciting to open them but it's really hard to build a deck. And I don't know if that's what people really want since we've just come off of like some of the cheapest standards of all time because Masterpiece cards took up so much of the value of the box. Like even the, the staple mythics were not even that expensive. Um, we've seen that like, even if they are sets that have Masterpieces, it can still get very expensive. Like the Scarab God is like ungodly expensive. And if you need four of them, then it makes decks more, you know, not, not, excessively expensive because you don't actually need four, but if you did need four, it'd be quite difficult to build a deck. And I have a feeling that the people that were complaining about the cost of magic are going to come out of the woodwork again and start complaining in hopefully next six months. That leads uh, into... Oh yeah, go ahead, Travis. <laughs> Am I, you're just kicking me off? That's fine. <laughs> uh, magic of five years ago? I don't know. Uh, the the recipe is certainly leaning back in that direction. We've got no masterpieces. Um, the, the dynamic of the sets has changed to kind of put us back there. And I was looking at that Gate to the Afterlife deck, and there are a lot of rares and mythics in there. It reminded me a lot of the old uh, Bant Mythic decks from the um, like Rise of the Eldrazi era that had like Noble Hierarch, Jace, Sovereigns of Lost Alara, Knight of the Reliquary, uh, Eldrazi Conscription, that deck. Um, so we've definitely got a recipe for some higher priced singles uh, that we haven't seen in a while. The flip side of that is buy a box promos seem pretty robust, uh, much more so than we've seen in the past. I don't have all the details on it, but it does seem like there's a lot more value packed in those than normal. Um, 
or at least ever in the past. So that's probably going to take the sting out of it a little bit. But I do uh, do expect to see some rares here that are a little pricier than we have in the past. Yeah. So the BioBox promos have an estimated value of like five or sorry, ten to twenty dollars each right now. The lands are currently selling for six to ten bucks online. You get two rares, two foils. Uh, we had a lot of people come in to buy boxes specifically because of these BioBox promos. Do you see anything in Minneapolis that suggests any different uh, sales data, Mike, when it comes to these compared to previous sets? People who are going to buy boxes buy boxes. You know, they're excited about the the packs and they're sweet and the lands are cool. And, you know, some of the locals have come up to me and asked me if I had seen these lands yet and how cool they are. And we've talked about them and they're, they're great. The artwork's great. They just are nice. Uh, but the people who buy boxes just are going to buy boxes. I don't think that the packs are really going to increase that that much for us, but I also just could be totally wrong. The people who aren't talking about it could be the ones that are super excited about it. And then, of course, speaking of the Scarab God, Jim, if you want to get into this week's question of the week. Yeah, so our question comes from a guy whose Facebook name, I believe, is not his real name, unless his name is Yup Yuppers, but I have to imagine that that's not the case. Uh, but he asks, uh, he's visiting while he was visiting his LGS this weekend and playing on Friday, I kept hearing the buzz around Scarab God and how powerful he was. A lot of people were talking to the owner. A lot of people in the owner was also talking about ordering more product to try and find the card to sell in the store since everyone kept asking for it. Do you think this will increase the opening of product nationwide and cause the cards in the set to go down? Just curious because I have a play set and I want one to get out while the hype is at the max and then re-enter when the card drops. Um, so I don't think that people are going to bust boxes and specifically looking for the Scarab God. Uh, it's not that expensive. So if the owner is going to bust a bunch of boxes looking for the Scarab God, that seems like a poor decision on his part. Um, as well as any player that's just trying to bust boxes to open the card, you just you just go to this like TCG player and spend money on them. They they cost less than the box, and if you don't need anything else, that kind of seems like a waste of money. Uh, that being said, I probably would sell my copies if I had any. Um, most of my friends play EDH now almost exclusively, and I let them know that hey, it's like super expensive, and you could probably just buy it back in a year for. Less than what you paid for, less than what you could buy list for it right now. So there's not really a whole lot of reason to hold on to them if you're not playing with them. Is there a specific question I'm answering because I must have missed it? He wants to know what to do with the Scarab God. Sell, and sell, sell them. Yeah. All because, <laughs> because his LGS owner is opening more product. I don't know how much product you crack, Mike, but we really don't need to crack that much product to get singles back in stock. That hasn't really been a problem. I'm assuming you guys have competitive buy list prices. Yeah, I mean, we don't like we don't publish a buy list every week at the store. We just tell people, you know, we pay fair. If you're looking for a store credit, we can always give you a great deal. Um, and then if we're out of something, like if our case has an empty spot and you have something that we need, obviously we will pay more for it. That's just kind of how it works. I mean, I'm looking at Scarab God on TCG Play right now, and like, if you have them, you should sell them. <laughs> That's just what it comes down to. It is expensive for what it is, and it looks like there's one listing at 31 and the rest are at 37. I would just get rid of it. That sounds great. Like, I think we have two in stock at the shop and right now, and they'll probably sell tonight because we have a small standard tonight, and then I'm sure we'll buy more tomorrow. Price is just insane. I can't wrap my head around that card being that much. Yep. Do you remember Bonfire? Yeah, but Bonfire was played as a four of in a ton of decks. Like we're like the scarab god is useful, but I mean it's not like that. Let me let me give you the old rundown on this card, Travis. When the scarab god first came out, we sold every single copy to EDH players. Yeah, that is also another point of demand for people. I think so that's got to be it, right? Like, there's no way this is just standard. It's get, because I was waiting for this card to go down because I wanted it for Sidisi, and it was still not under fifteen dollars, and it was like. Two months after Hour of Devastation, it wasn't really in standard at all. I'm like, why is this card still $15? It's got to be all casual demand. And now a couple people decide it's reasonable and standard. It's $40 damn dollars. So, yeah. So here's, and uh, sorry if I'm cutting you off, Mike, but 
all these casual players that would have had this card if it was not worth anything, if it didn't have casual demand, it would have sat in their binders, and when the price went up due to standard play, those copies would have gone to shops, and the price would have been uh, like probably around 20 to $30. Instead, casual demand was so high that when the shop's copies got bought out from players, they either had to bust more boxes or pay an obscene buy list while demand rose because all those copies that they would normally get from their players for like stuff that spiked like Diagraph Colossus or anything like that, none of those cards were sitting in players' binders to buy. So there were only two real ways to get it, which was to pay like right below what they were selling it for or to bust more boxes and charge more because opening Hour of Devastation boxes loses you about $15 per box if you're going by TCG low. So all these all these Scarab Gods were not concentrated in a way that was easily accessible and the price went crazy because of it. And this is a, a card that's a two of instead of a four of. That's my thoughts anyway on it. Dan Bach had a good article about that. Yeah, I mean, Scarab God, it'll settle back down. It's the thing right now, the set just, you know, we just had a rotation, so there's limited amounts of cards in standard. So people are just really excited about it right now. Um, I mean, it'll probably be $20 in a week and a half, two weeks. It'll just work its way back down. People are going to trade them. People are going to get rid of them. It's just how it's going to be. It's just the ebb and flow of standard mythics. Yeah, I think this is the, like the like perfect storm of is casually very, like, is very popular with casual people and also is very popular with competitive people. So there's actually just like no one that wants to sell it. I uh, wait, hold on. Ed, Ed has a statement that he wants read. Uh, <clears throat> and now seems like it's good at any time. It's not about the Scarab God specifically, but he wanted me to read this. <clears throat> to all the hot flight attendants. Oh my I want to get Stop. up in death. <laughs> Stop. Initial thoughts on the weekend for standard. This is the first weekend the obvious the obvious decks are all in place. Energy is still a very busted mechanic and mono red is still very powerful. Blue white approach is a good solid shell as a de facto control deck in the format. Once the pros have a chance to tackle the format, we will have a better idea if these strategies are going to be format defining or if there are other viable strategies. I, that's Ed, personally think the energy mechanic is too parasitic and too powerful, which will put a serious damper on Ixalan cards. Hour of, uh, hold on, I pulled it up. No, shoot. Hour of Glory. He like did not actually write that down. Hour of Glory could be a powerful sideboard card in the future if we continue to see the Scarab God play a big role as a finisher in some of the new decks. Those are Ed's outlooks on standard at the moment. Okay. And if you want to win credit next week, leave a comment on the Gathering Magic page and Jim will randomly select a question and we can get you that free $25 in gift cards. Um, yeah, Man, thanks. You, you have whatever that was you were trying to say. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, oh, Approach of the Second Sun is $2 now. This is yeah, man. PTG players like two two eighty nine. Like, who boy? I can get rid of all my copies now. Something that I'm very happy about from a shop perspective is that these buddy lands got reprinted because we could not keep any of the M sets in stock. And a lot of EDH players now understand that these cards ex cards exist. And they have like zero qualms about paying two dollars for a dual land. And like nine dollars for a Heliot. Am I right, Travis? Uh, but I, I really like that they reprinted this set uh, of lands. I think that this is just uh, free money down the road again. I think like Bylas are gonna Bylas aren't really gonna change on this. And if you can get these cards towards Bylas, the, these are like the um, the bonds of MTG Finance. They always have demand somewhere for players that are on a budget that don't want to buy Shocklands, and they always seem to move very well out of the case. Um, and we could even see post-rotation, if there's not a good land cycle, uh, these could be the premier lands again um, to play with. Because these are these are making mana bases much more efficient, especially if you're looking at the Star City decklist this weekend. So that's just something... I, I'm really happy with Exelon, guys, from a sales perspective. The art on the new buddy lands is also just great. There's a I, dinosaur on one of them. 
Yeah, I well, there's dinosaur on two of them actually, oh, really? two of them. Yeah, Dragon Skull Summit has a really sweet dinosaur thing on it, and Rootbound Crag, and I was really okay. sad I didn't open them at the pre-release because those are probably all the booster packs I'm going to open. Yeah, overall, I've had people actually trade us their M1s for the Ixalan ones because they want the new art. Um, and the frame actually just looks really good on lands. I was a big... I really didn't like the new frame change when it originally had, you know, been spoiled and come out. And I like it a lot on lands. I'm not a big fan on creatures, but I like it a lot on lands. Are you the kind of person that wants every creature to look like Tarmogoyf? I love the feature site border. <laughs> it's Thank great. you. Thank you. See, there's at least one normal person on this cast. I just want brown I, artifacts is all I want. That's like if please, they Please, please, brown artifacts would be yeah. the best. Uh, I am colorblind, and I had a very hard time telling the difference between artifacts and white cards in Mirrodin. It was the worst. It's gotten better since then, but it's still pretty bad. Yeah, the original you... edition Mirrodin change was not good. Well, actually, this brings up a good point if you guys want to talk about brown artifacts. Um, I guess, and brown this is... artifacts. This is, uh, this is pretty... We're not going to delve too deep into this. As a shop, are you in favor of abolishing the reserve list? Uh, I think there's someone that just sold like two grand in bazaars online. <laughs> Our collection wouldn't be, but it would make everything else go up. Um... I mean, we have a pretty decent legacy community. The reserve list is safe. It's a safe investment. I tell, we get a lot of players that come in and they ask, um, you know, if I'm going to buy $1,000 worth of magic cards to sit on, if I'm like going to go to for over college, uh, I want to trade all this stuff in because it's going to rotate out of standard and I don't know what's going to happen with modern, what should I do? It's just like reserve list is what I tell them. Um, it would be nice if there was a way for more people to get dual lands at a reasonable price, but I also don't think there's a reasonable way to do it with the reserve list existing. Um, like they can't print anything that's nearly as powerful or changes anything. I mean, Chocolands are just not a comparable dual land and it would suck for a lot of players. And that's where it really comes down to the fact that I don't think they should get rid of it. Um, from a shop standpoint, it wouldn't bother me because we would just make money on something else. But from a player standpoint and, I have a lot of friends that just don't play Magic anymore that just own dual lands because they have no reason to sell them. Uh, they would be pretty upset about it. Travis, are you in favor of it? Abolishing the reserve list? Yeah. No. I think it's a bad idea. And why? <clears throat> this is a long topic for a soundbite, and a lot of articles have been written about it. Uh, I think I have written about them too, but basically the game is better off for having some element of it that is aspirational, um, that serves as a sort of collectible, reachable tier of cards that are, in effect, uh, not needed for anybody. Nobody who wants to play Magic needs anything on the reserve list. You only need those cards if you want to play in the oldest, dustiest, um, and I mean that in a good way. Uh, I was about to say you know, the annals of history of magic, that's where the reserve list cards come in. So it's a really cool thing that they exist, that, um, that they give you something to work towards, that they are something special that you can own um, and that you can do something with them, but they aren't required at all to play magic. And I think it really helps the brand and the longevity of the game. Also remember that legacy and vintage are irrelevant and are increasingly more so every day. So you shouldn't be upset that you can't get the cards you need to play them. I'm gonna fly to Buffalo right now and smack you. <laughs> legacy is legacy is very good for shops if you can get a scene going. Yeah, that's they, a real big asterisk. I also just like I love legacy. I absolutely love legacy. It's probably my second favorite format behind vintage. So I'm you know I like the old dusty formats, but. I think modern is just much better for stores than legacy is, and that's fine. And Get out of here. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just it is. It's more accessible, and it it lets you do more things, and you can grow a collection at a reasonable rate instead of being like, I can't buy another dual land for another four months because I don't make enough money. Where in modern, every week you can buy something for twelve dollars, and your collection just gets larger and larger, and that's great for the game. 
these heretical views are not endorsed by me. This is uh, this is hurting. I mean, I mean it we- also, you know, part of the reserve list is it gives it gives players a way to stay in touch with the game, even when they're starting to like pull out of it. I have a friend who played a lot of Magic over the last several years, had a huge collection, um, and then like wasn't really playing as much. Some of us have pulled out of it a little bit, so if he was playing Pokemon, he would have just sold all of his cards and that would have been the end of it. And he would, that'd be it. He'd be done. But instead he takes all of his stuff. He sells it and he trades it into like a mock Sapphire and it's his piece of power. And then he takes it home and he gets to keep it. And it's like, it's cool. Cause like he didn't need all the cards, but he didn't really want to give up magic completely. And now he gets to keep this thing that kind of keeps his connection with it. And like, that's exactly what the reserve list is really good for without that, without that, that, piece of cardboard that you can own to make you feel like you're in touch with the history of the game you just get rid of all your stuff and that'd be it i think that's why stuff like eternal weekend is very important in preserving the nostalgia and prices for this game the pre-sales i have seen for people going to eternal weekend is insane uh a lot of people have been budgeting for gen con and this as far as like their magic budget where they only get to get out of the house twice a year and uh, a lot of beta cards are shooting up like crazy because these people want to play old school vintage and legacy at Eternal Weekend. So I, I agree with you, Travis, where like we sold out of beta soul rings in like 10 minutes of listing them a dollar below uh, our competitors online. And they were literally all going to people that now I now know are going to Eternal Weekend. Uh, where they want to play with these cards and like show off how pimp their decks are, I guess. Because you could get like a you could get a revised soul ring, but beta black border is like the pinnacle. You can get like a monitor or a commander one, like that still works. Uh, actually, you can't play that in old school. Yeah. Oh, but- who even does that's such a dumb rule for that format. Like that that alone makes it so unappealing to play. No, but that's they don't care what the pores think about your thoughts on the format, Jim. If you're playing Commander Soul but Ring, Jim, you're missing the entire point of it. The entire point of old school Magic is that when you were younger, or when you were, you didn't not have the resources that you had. Magic, and or especially during the old days, back in 93, 94, 95, you didn't have access to the full card pool because you couldn't run out to the stores and buy them, and you probably couldn't afford to pay for them. You couldn't trade for them. So you slowly built your deck, and it was this thing that grew with you over time. And that's why... And you, you got to have the fun of chasing those pieces, right? That's exciting. A collection's only fun while you're collecting. Once you've completed the collection, who cares anymore? So by not allowing you to use reserve... Li- or um revise editions of cards or other versions like yeah you could get a two dollar soul ring but like you can't you have to go and look for them for only the ones that count and it gives you this way to like slowly trade into your deck and get a new powerful card that you've been waiting for and you get excited about it again so it's like it's like an rpg except it's in building your deck like you just kind of like slowly build towards it i think it's a cool concept i don't play it but i appreciate that aspect of it and what it intends to provide it's it's like less about the game playing the game and more about the experience around playing the game is i prefer cards legal in that format which cards ce and ie yes i don't fire i'm the i'm the old school expert on this cast guys Channel Fireball allows Collector's Edition and International Edition in their events at all Grand Prix. Sweden does not allow it. They are playing with rules that I believe Collector's Edition is not legal this weekend. Or next uh, next weekend. So that puts a damper. For US-held tournaments, normally you can play with Collector's Edition. This one, it is not allowed. However, Collector's Edition just went from $2,000 for a set to like $4,500 for a set. Yeah, I just finished off. Uh, I like randomly wanted to get all the power and the duels um, for my cube. This is multiple. Uh, and I finally just decided to pull the trigger on it. And I was just like, the next day it started to go up. And I was like, oh man, that was a good call. Well, it isn't because you don't have beta duels and beta power. So. Yeah, but like I also like to sell things. And like we have an Alpha Tundra at the store that I tried to move online in several places and no one will ever want it. Is it played to like guard no, to like it's in great shape. It's just that no one wants to buy it because that's what how beta duels and stuff work. It's like they have this value if anybody would buy them. 
but like you just end up buy-listing them to vendors because the only people that because of fakes and rebacks people just like don't want to buy those cards from other people they want to buy them from businesses because there's some kind of guarantee behind them have you had a problem with fakes at your shop with like players proxying cards or attempting to use fakes in tournaments no i mean we don't like i'm not gonna look at everybody's deck or whatever but we've had somebody who played a fake goblin guide once and he like came up after his match was like i'm pretty sure after playing this card that i think it's fake if it's fake i'd like to purchase one and we it was fake but like he bought one and it's you know like it was a standard for packs i think so it was it or modern for packs so it wasn't a big deal i mean we see a couple fakes here and there but most of them are pretty bad we actually had to dq multiple people from our last tournament for playing decks that were 80 percent fake so they're like with do they have knowledge that they're fake or are they so this is the even better story so they've played in our tournaments and fnms for years and they lent their decks to a friend in California, and he shipped them back just in time for the tournament. And between the time they shipped them and they got shipped back, everything in the deck was replaced with fakes. So they had no knowledge of it. Uh, and like they showed us tracking and all that. And like I'm, the judges and I are walking by during the tournament, and you see some stuff that's clearly fake that they've been playing for years. And it's like, yeah, we're going to have to ask you to uh, give us your deck after this match and then check it and dq you so i once had a guy play a 2-2 dark confidant against me i bet it was pretty good ever have oh, anyone play a 2-2 maloku against you uh no but isn't there like a misprint on like one of the foreign languages Those spanish oh spanish i thought it was portuguese yeah, one of the languages makes two twos instead of one ones. But no, no, this was the English Dark Confidant. I had all of the abilities and stuff right, and it was a two two. And I like, I think I dealt the damage to it, and he didn't put it in the graveyard. And I was like, it's a two one. He's like, no, it's a two two. And I was like, that's that's not true. I, I know <laughs> what that card does, and it doesn't do that. Yeah, Mike, what's like the hardest part about owning a shop? everything i don't know i mean being an adult Waking up in the morning yeah like you're you're you have to you turn your hobby the thing you love into a job and that's like that's great if that's what you want to do and that's what i wanted to do but like it's it's tough because there are times you can't separate them i can't just say you know if i'm in the store cubing with a group of friends that i have a regular cube group that's guys that i used to play magic with 10 years ago and we cube and it's a lot of fun but then like if there's an issue i have to go up and solve it you know it's I'm an extra set of hands, and if they're get, my employees are getting crushed, my friend is going to have to wait on their cube match, and that's like the hardest part for me is I can't live two separate lives in the store. I have to be the same person, and I have to be friendly to everybody, which I don't have a problem with. But like I, it's customer service all the time, and that that it is a lot of work. It's very draining after a long day. I think we can agree on that. Um. And then I got one more thing, though I do know the answer to this because I keep hearing about it. Uh, do you have a backup plan for when or if Magic is discontinued and becomes worthless financially? I imagine you have some experience from smaller card games being discontinued since you've been in the gaming industry for so long. But like, what would you do if Magic suddenly wasn't worth anything? Who Who is this person talking to about us being in the gaming industry for so long? You got you old old men all on this cast that were all born before 1990. I mean, I've been, been playing, playing Magic for I've been playing for since a like 1994. But it's not like I've I didn't like. I mean, I don't know, Mike. How long did you say you've owned your shop for? It's we've been open for a year, but I've been doing Magic stuff for ten years probably now. Like sure, and it's just funny because it's like you guys have been in the game for a long time. It's like no, not really. Like I, I mean, I've probably I've been the longest player, but none of us have been like operational in the space financially for more than six years i don't think but right but that's what i'm talking about like one day when you guys are being served tapioca in your uh care house which for travis will be in five years when he hits the age for social security god i hope so like what what what's your plan if uh, magic goes by the wayside for the shop like i i'm not trying to give away too much besides the whole coffee thing but there are other things that lodestone go does that helps to support the shop I mean, downsizing would be a huge one. I mean, we've run large magic events and we have the space for decently large magic events. And if we didn't have to run large magic events, we would have less space. We would just 
shrink. We could probably half our size. Uh, board games are great. They're a great industry. They're fun. We have a great demo shelf. People drink coffee and play board games. That's a lot of fun. But I mean, magic is it's liquid. You can make money on it very easily and turn things very easily. And if you need to get out of it, you can, but I don't think the game is ever going to die. I mean, obviously at some point it will die, but not anytime soon. And if it does, I, we'd probably consider relocating, downsizing, maybe closing. It'd be a lot of work and it's not, I'm not sure if it would be worth it. Yeah. I'm just curious. Cause like it, it's interesting to see, uh, shops that are all in on magic that only do magic and you guys have so much more than that versus other game shops that you're fairly well diversified when it comes to your client base um i i'm friends with a lot of shop owners that that's all they do is magic and it's like you're sort of putting all your eggs in one basket you know you're not you're not investing in other things but like you can't consider magic as a subset it's tough to consider magic as only a subset of tabletop gaming because it is so large it's larger than any individual board game section. You know, it's larger than any other trading card game that has ever existed. It's kind of like there are trading card games and then there's magic. So like you, you, we do, I mean, we sell force of will like packs and Pokemon packs, but not really. And so like, that's our trading card. We do like board games, trading card games, force will magic or force will Pokemon. And then we do magic together. So it's kind of just, not really a trading card game anymore. It's moved beyond that. It's a lifestyle game like Warhammer is or any of those other large scale games where people who play it, it's really all they think about. It's not, you know, it's not, they don't have other hobbies. This is their hobby. And when you explain it to, you know, muggles, when you explain magic to them, especially when you're opening a shop, when you have to explain to a landlord what you're going to do with the space, explaining what magic is is really tough because they don't understand it. They, they're like, oh, is it kind of like backgammon? And you're like, not at all. <laughs> but yes, sure it is. And it it won't, if it goes away, there's nothing that will replace it. You know, there's not going to be a force of will circuit that's nearly as large. There's not going to be, I don't know, the Final Fantasy trading card game is not going to take its spot. It's just, it's not going to happen. What about Hearthstone? We don't even run Hearthstone. <laughs> because a lot of locals have asked us, but what do we give away? What am I going to do? Give you Amazon money? Like, I don't know. Store credit? You, We have nothing for you to spend money on besides coffee. And, like, running a Hearthstone tournament where you win $20 of store credit, you're like, after your second win where you have $35 store credit, there's no reason for you to play anymore. Also, what's in it for the shop? You know, what, what bills are you paying with that Hearthstone tournament? So, um. Yeah, any other questions you guys want to ask before we get into pick of the week? Uh, just so you know, they do have Blizzard cards also. You could buy them a Blizzard store credit, which is good for whatever they want to use that for, I guess, on Blizzard games. Yeah, but, like, profit margin's great. <laughs> and I don't think Blizzard's given me too much of a discount on their their Blizzard cards. I don't know, man. Maybe everyone will drink coffee while they play. That's a game you could drink coffee while you play, sure. right? I'd rather have board gamers. Board gamers are more friendly than competitive Hearthstone players. That's probably true. That's definitely true. By the way, my plan, if Magic goes under, is to be out of my cards before that happens. And to but only you can't, you can't predict that, because everybody would do that if they thought the game was collapsing. It would just lead to a run on the market. Well, it depends on what the environment leads up to that. I mean, you could have them announce tomorrow that they're packing up shop and discontinuing support for magic in two years officially. And of course that would be insane. Like, I don't think that we're anticipating that. I think we're looking at, you know, sort of the way like AOL goes away is it just becomes slowly less relevant over time. And then suddenly you turn around and nobody matters anymore. And there's one twentieth of the number of players as there used to be. Uh, or if star city goes under, that would be another like big indicator, something like that. Yeah, I suppose that would probably be the closest thing you'd get to sudden news that there was a problem. Uh, that would probably be a good way to think about it. But even then, I'm not, I mean, you'd probably trigger a run just like they did every time they talk about killing Moto, you'd trigger a run on Moto cards, but then it would probably rebound. I mean, Magic, you know, this topic has come up a million times before. Magic has a long, robust history. And if Wizards did close up shop tomorrow, there'd still be a continuing demand for your cards because people would play it forever. So personally, I would like to eventually move out of probably like basically if I ever end up in a position in my career that takes up enough of my time that I can't do this, I would, I would 
sell out of it. Uh, maybe if I have kids that might get to the point where I don't want to deal with it anymore or tone it way down. So the stuff like that was what will get me out of it. Uh, so the only thing I want to own when magic finally goes away, the dinosaurs, um, is probably just owning a personal EDH collection that I'm okay dying with. And that'll happen in 10 years. So let's get in pick of the week. Please God. Yes. <laughs> so Mike, if you don't know from last time, pick of the week is where we all pick a card that we think is going to go up in the short term or long term, and we explain why. So Jim will, of course, give us the example to start it off. Uh, I'm not Ed. I don't know what you're talking about. Ed is currently on a flight to Japan to go buy and sell or vacation in Japan. Yeah, I was uh, like, what are you talking about? He's vacationing. Yeah. Jim, what is your pick of the week? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll come back to me. Travis? I wasn't ready for that. Well, uh, the Star City Open, I shouldn't say had no surprises, but we've all digested that pretty well at this point. The Star City Classic, which was also standard, had a fun little spicy meatball from Zach Elsick, um, who is behind all sorts of wild off-the-wall brews, some of which stick and a lot of which don't. But he won the whole thing with Grixis Improvise, improvise is a mechanic from Kaladesh where it's basically convoke except for your spells. So like tap an artifact to reduce the cost of this card by one. Um, in that list, he had two mythics. And uh, the one I want to talk about here is Tezzeret the Innovate, Tezzeret the Innovator, I think it is, right? Or is it Tezzeret schemer. the Innovator? Tezzeret the Schemer is doing something. Um, I was checking out Zach's Twitter account earlier today to see if he uh, what kind of feedback he had after the event talking about it and he did reference that Tezzeret was a really important part of the deck that it allows him to kill Hazarets uh, and do all sorts of other stuff. He ultimated it, ultimated it twice to win games and then it's an important cog in the deck. Tezzeret the Schemer is a card that's gone basically under the radar before now and it's still probably under the radar today. Uh, it's like seven-ish, eight bucks. I'm not re recommending you guys run out and buy these, uh, but I think if you're looking for stuff to trade for at your local store, um, I'd be happy to trade for these at retail price um, because I think that if this this deck is probably going to be kind of quiet for the time being, but if it manages to hit another event, you will see uh, Tezzeret rise considerably up into probably at least a 15 range, possibly more depending on how well it does. And it is a cost reduction mechanic, and we know how good Wizards is at balancing those. Um, and it's also would be completely out of left field, which means you don't have a lot of demand baked into the card prices yet. So you would get a huge spike as opposed to if you have something like torrential gear Hulk suddenly is obviously good. Like it's really, it gets really good approach. The second sign you're like, yeah, but we already knew torrential gear Hulk was good, right? That's not a surprise. So there's kind of like this expectation baked into the price of gear Hulk. Whereas like Tezzer at the schemer, there is no such expectation. So I guess I have two black mana up right now because I'm about to dash your hopes, Travis. Um, Quiet Speculation and a couple other finance guys were talking about this, and the card has gone from $3 to $7 based off uh, people just buying in based off hype already. So there's already a bunch of people sitting on a lot of these copies. Mm. Um, there are a lot of people who are like posting pictures of them with like 20 to 40 of these. <laughs> so that's just something to keep in mind if you're looking at this card that a lot of people will be trying to dump at the same time. Mm, yeah, I mean, I didn't look at the price yesterday. I only saw it today, so I wasn't sure where it was yesterday. Even still, I mean, if you have a tier one or tier two standard deck that has a Planeswalker as a three or four of, um, I don't think... 10 to $20 is unreasonable, even if there are people already sitting on copies. You know, even if all the guys over on QS bought 300 copies, 400 copies between them, that's still only, you know, a handful of decks, right? Like, that's not actually that many when you're talking about the country. Oh, no, I completely agree. It's just something for our listeners to understand if they're getting in on this card. Which Jim, is a good point. What do you got? I'm a little confused why you picked that one and not Herald of Anguish, which is less than $2 and hasn't gone anywhere yet. Because I've talked about that elsewhere. Okay. Well then. We're waiting on your pick of the week, Jim. Oh, my bad. Um, so I'm not really sure where Standard is going to go from here. Uh, a lot of decks obviously look quite powerful. Uh, as as it stands with 
the decks that were played this weekend. So it was a bunch of energy decks, a gift stack, um, you know, red decks and whatever. Not sure where people are going to go from here. Uh, I think that it is a reasonable thing to buy if you want a sorcerer's sorceress sorcerers sorceress spyglass. Um, Scarab God got bought out over the weekend. Tons of people are going to be playing it. You can name the Scarab God, and it won't be able to activate its ability anymore, which is a lot of the reason why it's so good. Uh, it's also reasonably good against the uh, the uh, gift decks because you can name gives a gate to the afterlife. I believe is the one that goes and searches for the God Pharaoh's gift. Correct. Um, you can you know there's a lot of like weird things that you can name. You can name Hazaret. You can name. Uh, I don't know if you can name lands. We can read it. It's not land. Uh, no, this is just any card name. Oh, okay. So it is just one more pithy needle. So that's yeah, your pick. It, well, you get to also like see their hands. So yeah, you could like name Ramanap ruins. Like, there's a bunch of little things that you can name. I don't know how many people are going to play it. If this Grixis improvised deck does get popular, that's obviously a pretty good artifact against a lot of your opponents. Um, and you could just throw it at them later with the uh, demon if you want to. So I think that at like $2, it's probably fine if you are thinking about playing these to buy them now. I wish I had a better pick, but I can't seem to think of anything right now. Everything's so expensive. Like, I'd rather just sell all my cards than buy anything else. Mike, you got anything you think is that you're keeping an eye on in the shop? Yeah, Kanza uh, Tarkir Fetchlands have been moving a lot on buy lists recently. Um, Star City, for example, has every Kanza uh, Fetchland outside of Windswift Teeth for twelve fifty on their buy list. Um, what's up keeping 10 and you, there are copies listed lower than that on TCG player right now. Um, so we think they're in a position to start moving. They've been too low for too long. Uh, they just been sitting there great in, in modern, obviously, and they've been out of print for a while. Like the expeditions may have kept them down a little bit, but it's been a few years. It's time. They're ready to move. Um, we have large stacks of them, which means a lot of people have them. But I think once they start moving, people will start buying them again. They start to see the prices go up. If they don't already own others, all their sets, um, they'll start to. And new people get into modern every day, so it's it's just about time. We've been waiting for a while, and I think you know now is finally the time. Thank God that some of these will go up. And then, yeah, that's a pretty good one. Uh, my pick this week is a celestial sorcery. Um, this card, when it hits bulk, I'm going to be going all in on that card. Is the 20 damage red mythic from Ixalan. Star of Devastation, I want to say. Uh, Star of Extinction. Extinction, sorry. This card is going to make so much money, and it is such an impactful card when it comes to EDH. It really makes them meteor their maker, that this is just such a splashy Johnny effect that I don't see this card uh, going back down between like $2 in a, in a year or two. Um, I've really been looking forward to uh, specking on this card and getting as many as I can and just sitting on them for a while because this seems like a no-brainer for casual cards out there that want a splashy effect. Uh, you don't really need to plan it when, you, uh, when you're when you going to get in because I think these are going to bottom out in a while and then stay there for a while and then just start going up real fast. Uh, but this this seems like an easy double or triple up in a, in a year or two. Wait, which card was it? I missed it. Star of Devastation. Is what Jim said. Oh, okay. it's twenty no, it's, damage. It's what to... you said. It's still Star of Extinction. I said Star of Extinction. You said Devastation. And you're still wrong. Well, I am very sorry for that, Jim. No, you're not. Nope. That's not your sorry voice. But yeah, that's going to be the cast for the week. Mike, where can people find you if they want to get in contact with Lodestone? You have thirty seconds for your old shameless plug. Um, you can find me on Twitter at gamble for value. Um, otherwise the store uses Twitter, Facebook, it's, uh, Twitter. We're at lodestone CG on Facebook, you lodestone coffee and games. Uh, you can go on our website, lodestonecoffeeandgames.com. Uh, we have request forms. If you're looking for stuff, if you're looking maybe to get, uh, we have merch, we don't have merch ups on the website store, but if you send us a request form, we can generally send some out to you. We've done that for a few people. Uh, I'm always at the store, so if you're in the Twin Cities area, I am just not there on Mondays. So any other day, I'm there basically my entire day. Um, come say hi. Come play Magic. I play a lot of board games. If you want to learn board games, that's what you should do. Uh, otherwise, just 
keep playing Magic. If as the game grows, we grow, and it's awesome. So, uh, what's best for everybody is best for me. Jim, where can people find your bearded, bushy face? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter at phrost underscore. Uh, you can find me at Gathering Magic uh, every other week and uh, Quiet Speculation usually every week. I am Travis Allen, Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N on Twitter. I write every Monday for MTG Price. I also do the MTG Fast Finance podcast, which you can find on SoundCloud. And if you enjoy playing Magic, check out Scry.Land, find Magic in your area. And I'm Jeremy. You can find me in the best state in the world, Missouri. Uh, <laughs> I'm in the middle of it right now. And uh, yeah, Mike, it's been a pleasure having you. <laughs> It's been a pleasure having you on as always. It's always great listening to your coffee stories. Um, that was a very good topic to just uh, have brewing on the back of the cast. So like I said, it's been a pleasure. Your uh, puns are so bad today. Thank you. I am so disappointed in you. That's all right. More and, than yeah, usual. That's it, guys. You can find us on cartel underscore finance on Twitter or cartel aristocrats on Facebook. You can download this cast on gathering magic, iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. And as always, we thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.